I'm gonna try and keep this. We are going up for the last forever. I'm gonna get that. Rocks. Best thing you can do is walk in the water when the snow's coming off. It makes the rocks look flatter. You can see. You gotta keep going. I don't know if you can see, but up there on top is where we gotta go. Welcome to the 393rd episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida at elevation three feet. The Leadville Marathon is complete and it is the highest elevation marathon in the United States. So what would a flatlander do? have any business going to Colorado to do a marathon at elevation. Just wanted to see how it might be. It's in the books, we finished. With a total time of eight hours, 41 minutes and 46 seconds. To put that in perspective, I have done my fastest marathon at four hours and four minutes and I have paced my fellow plant-based strider at 6.46, six hours and 46 minutes. So this was significantly longer. We ran for three hours and 19 minutes and 24 seconds, and we walked for five hours and 17 minutes, and we were idle, according to my Garmin, for five minutes and six seconds. And I know exactly where that was. That was at the very, very peak called Mosquito Pass at 13,183 feet above sea level. So how do we get there and uh, what led up to it? We'll go through it a little bit. Um, first, I'll say all this well. Um, I didn't do a podcast last week because we were traveling for the race. The week before I did a podcast with Omicron. And I got to say, I was pretty much um, back to, I had run the week before the marathon. I really kind of took it easy trying to come back and did the severe reverse taper at about three miles a day, just trying to get my energy back and not expend too much energy and see how things went. So we traveled on Thursday and um, raced on Saturday. Most people would say you should be out there and acclimate a little bit, but you know, that's not our life. So, um, so we flew out Thursday evening and you know, I, I had a little bit of a GI stomach, not quite right with Omicron appetite was off, not just, just not quite, quite square. And when we got to um, Denver, it's the first time I was actually a little bit hungry. So, uh, look forward to going to a vegan restaurant in a little suburb of Denver called Old Town. And we went there and they had mango kombucha. I love mango. I like kombucha. Uh, if you don't know what kombucha it is, a fermented black tea made with a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. Uh, so it's sweet black tea that, uh, the yeast turned the, um, 
the yeast convert to alcohol and the bacteria take the alcohol and convert it to short chain fatty acids and is somewhat of a probiotic. So it is somewhat healthful and they had a mango flavor added to theirs, fresh mango juice. And it was on tap there um, as opposed to being bottled. So we got there, we sat outside, um, I got a mango kombucha and we ordered an appetizer of Brussels sprouts and an entree of quinoa and broccoli and other vegetables with tofu. And so I kind of drank the kombucha fairly quickly, but it tasted okay. I can't say that it tasted bad. And then we had Brussels sprouts. And as most of you know, when you go out, it had a sesame type oil. And we could, I could see there was a fair amount of oil on it. Um, kind of, you know, pushed it around, but was hungry because we really hadn't had any real food all day long. And that Brussels sprouts are considered green. So I went ahead and, you know, we ate some of those. Then my entree came and it was, it was, pretty low as far as oil goes. It had a little bit of a um, uh, chili sauce to it, but not real spicy, maybe even a little bit sweet. Uh, and broccoli, carrots, edamame. So again, um, you know, some pretty high fiber foods coming my way uh, after a bubbly kombucha. If you see where this is going, um, all of a sudden I didn't feel well. And it was a little hot. We had been inside in the air, airport. I was cold. We were sitting outside. It got hot. And I thought, you know, maybe that's it. And uh, one thing led to another. And I, I was feeling pretty, pretty miserable. Um, so I, you know, I, I really do think it's a combination of I got into oil that I wasn't used to. Kombucha may or may not been. I hadn't had a kombucha for a long time. It's a little bit too much carbonation for me. I really don't drink anything with carbonation. Um, but I, uh, I became a big bubble and I wasn't sure which way my Brussels sprouts and broccoli were headed at that point. And I was worried it was coming back to visit. And, um, my, you know, if you have any GI distress or gas, this is a plant-based wellness podcast and I am a, am a physician, so I can talk, uh, digestion, but, um, gas X is your friend and I always carry it, uh, in my suitcase um, usually in my car as well, but you know, we were in a rental, but so we went back to the car and I got some gas X and, and a little bit, you know, it kind of relieved the situation, but, uh, took most of the evening to kind of get my stomach settled down. And next morning, you know, Friday morning, it was so, so, and we went out to test the elevation and it was, uh, the weather was really interesting. I, I was a little afraid it was going to be cold because we're, you know, we're here in the high 70s in Florida into the low 90s now with high humidity. And the weather forecast there was 40s to high 60s, maybe 70s. But uh, amazingly, we went out and it, it didn't seem that cold. And um, so we thought we'd test out what we might wear for the marathon. And we went for a little run and immediately um, my heart rate went up to race pace heart rate. So I knew the elevation was, um, a factor. If I back up a little bit further that morning, I had a little tingling in my hand that I wasn't sure what it was. Um, it didn't, um, it, the tingling in my, it was just my hand and it wasn't in a dermatomal distribution. So it wasn't like it was a disc. Um, it was just my hand. I had, didn't have any weakness. I didn't feel like I was having a stroke. Um, kind of like if you, uh, hand was asleep a little bit and I kind of shook it around and it didn't really do much. Um, but it kind of gradually went away and I didn't really say anything to Michael. I thought I'd just see what happened in a little bit. He came out and he said, my hand was tingling. And so pretty much, um, 
you know, came to the conclusion that it was altitude. And so if you think about um, being at, you know, higher altitude, the air is thinner, so the, pressure, the partial pressure of oxygen is less. So you tend to breathe a little bit faster, especially when you're acclimating. Um, travel will make you a little dehydrated, so you'll tend to have a little bit higher heart rate anyway. So when you breathe a little bit more rapidly, you breathe off more carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide and oxygen share um, an equal distribution on our blood hemoglobin molecules. If you get rid of too much carbon dioxide, you, you, hang, you tend to hold on to the oxygen. It has to be balanced out. So if you hyperventilate, that's why you get dizzy and pass out, is because you're not releasing the oxygen to your brain. Um, same way with being at altitude, if you start breathing more than you usually do, you're not delivering uh, as much oxygen to, again, the small blood vessels at the very ends, like your fingertips, hands, feet, therefore they can tingle a little bit. So that was the mechanism of action. So again, we're trying to hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Uh, again, from the night before, I was a little bit uh, still, stomach not quite right, but um, nevertheless. But we went outside and we did our shakeout run and um, we went up uh, a dirt path, kind of up a hill, which we saw a road that looked like a logging road and thought maybe that was the trail. And we came to the conclusion that, you know, there's probably going to be some steep sections and then it's going to be flat and then maybe some steep sections and then it's going to be flat and it's not going to be too bad. We'll walk the uphills, you know, we're going to run to heart rate. Uh, I know that when I'm running a marathon, if my heart rate gets into the high 140s, 150s, it's not, I'm not, I'm going to bonk later on. So I don't really want to hit that until later on in the race. So Ideally, my easy training runs are in the 130s, and that's kind of where I, I wanted to be f at least through halfway uh, um, through the marathon. That was our, my goal. And the way the race was, um, you went out to the peak summit at Mosquito Pass at 13.7, and you came back. So um, there were, you know, on the elevation, you can go to, I'll, I'll put a link to the podcast, or a link to the website, but you can see the elevation. There's a small climb, then a pretty big climb, and then the big climb to the summit. And then, you know, we retrace your steps back. And so it's net downhill on the way back. Um, my reasoning would, uh, would have been that, you know, okay, it's going to be more downhill coming back. Maybe we have a chance at negative splitting this and making up some time, but we're going to really be conservative on the way out, not knowing exactly what we're going to face. So that was, uh, that was a really good plan. And um, we um, met some friends uh, for lunch and had, it was actually a vegan restaurant called the Golden Burrow. Uh, it was not up to par. I had some beans and uh, some, you know, peppers and onions and bean, pinto beans in a, in a burrito type of thing. And I kind of picked around it. There was some lettuce in there. Um, didn't, uh, you know, kind of got full quick, not my usual appetite, which is a little worried, was a little worrisome. Um, the evening before the marathon, we had, um, a veggie pizza that was really low oil, uh, and had, you know, we had tomatoes and peppers and mushrooms on that. And it was uh, pretty good, but again, appetite, not very good, you know, got filled up pretty quick. So not the usual, um, um, caloric intake before a marathon, but nevertheless, 
Um, I always like going out west because you gain time. So, you know, uh, even though the race started at 7, it was like starting at 9. So it wasn't like we had to get up at the crack of dawn. We stayed at a hostel, which was my first experience of staying at a hostel. Um, and uh, it was about one block from the, the start. And it was a great, great place. We met a lot of people. Um, the interesting thing about um, staying at the hostel, we heard a similar story over and over again. Uh, the owner of the hostel told us that he was actually went to the University of Florida, uh, lived in Miami, and then actually lived in Houston, had a job. He traveled a lot, went out to Colorado to run, fell in love with the mountains, uh, ended up you know, quitting his job and buying the hostel. We heard from another fellow that you know, went to the University of Miami, had a job, hated his job, came out uh, to Leadville to do a bike race, fell in love with the area, quit his job, moved to Colorado, found another job that allowed him to run and ride. I mean, we heard that story over and over again while we were there. Um, people just fell in love with the simplicity, simplicity of being in the mountains, fresh air, hiking, you know, the outdoor activities, uh, realized they didn't want to be in the rat race, especially a lot of people we heard from a flight attendant that's a similar thing, took up running uh, with all the restrictions and COVID and lack of, you know, lack of personal control. Um, people were just starting to decide that, you know, there's more to life than being on a hamster wheel of somebody else's intentions. And uh, so it was, it was a lot of interesting uh, conversations. Uh, I really did like staying in the hostel because we got to meet a lot of different people. Um, the hostel was, um, um, there, we had our own private bathroom. There was a big, uh, group living room, a sitting area, giant dining room, and a fully furnished kitchen that you could bring in. There was a refrigerator to store, uh, your goods, uh, and dry goods if you wanted. Uh, you had access to all the things in the, in the kitchen. So it was, it was pretty cool. Um, again, you got to meet people, but the race morning, um, got up and got some coffee and a bar and headed to the start line uh, again, which was just about a block and a half away, uh, which was really cool. The, the uh, marathon takes off and goes straight up the hill. So the, um, it's just the uh, first, oh, I'm going to say three miles are pretty much uphill to start with before anything even has a taste of leveling off. Um, so we start out and we, um, actually were in line for the Port of John. So we were actually dead last taken off, um, which have been there before. It's not that big a deal. And it's actually really good because we had no pressure to run with the pack. We started out running our own pace. We were with a group of, uh, people that, um, there was a group, uh, that ran as a, as a team. Well, they, they were all friends that did this marathon on an annual basis to raise awareness for veterans with depression, uh, and suicide prevention. So we got to, to meet them and talk to them and kind of, you know, we would go ahead of them. They go ahead of us. We go ahead of them. They go ahead of us. So we, we kind of had, um, that camaraderie, um, during most of the, most of the marathon, um, so that was, that was really nice. So, and it really spread out, well, being in the back, it spread out really quick. So there was never the feeling that somebody was coming up behind you or you had to stop and get off the road. And actually it started out on a paved road, then it went into a mining road. Leadville is an old mining town. It was um, uh, in the late 1800s, it was the second largest town in Colorado after Denver. And uh, a lot of silver mining started out as gold, but then they found there was a contaminant that contained silver. So it was a huge silver mining area 
they're still mining there today for minerals. Um, but so there, this course that we went on, we saw a lot of old mines on the lower aspect and there was some mining logging type roads that were, you know, kind of a dirt road. Uh, and then it was mainly rocky, um, I guess, washout of, you know, snow coming down, um, rocks about the size of softballs with a lot of pointy edges, um, not really packed down, uh, like running on giant gravel. Um, and the banks were, you know, kind of um, cantered down pretty steeply. So you kind of, uh, if you've ever skied, it was kind of like running moguls, you know, back and forth, back and forth, trying to get footing. Rocks would slip out from under you. It wasn't a huge deal going up, but it was a huge deal for me coming back down uh, because uh, I turned my ankle multiple times, always the same foot turning in and it... Um, you know, so you kind of get this jolt like, oh, geez, did I really do it this time? And you, you know, run, you know, 15 yards or so and it settle out. You can get back doing what you're doing. And it was just enough to get me a little worried and, you know, say, you know, I don't want to really hurt myself out here. Um, I say this every trail marathon for the most part, but this was the rockiest one we've done to date. Um, it's kind of funny because when we go back and look at other ones, they don't seem as rocky as the, as the ones that we do, you know, in the future, and this one was truly rocky. That concept that there would be hill climbs and then flat, hill climbs and then flat was totally wrong. Um, there were hill climbs and then down, you know, down through the rocks and then up the hill and down through the rocks, but there wasn't any um, flat areas for the most part. There were grades that weren't as bad sometimes, but there was, there was not a flat stretch of land. Um, to, to mount to anything uh, throughout the whole race course. So, um, so we started out and um, realized pretty quickly that there wasn't going to be a lot of running up the hills for us. Uh, heart rate, you know, was we were as a pretty big effort walking, hiking fast as we could up the hills. But we were doing good, and everybody was encouraging that you know we were going to make the cutoff time and no problems and everything was, you know, going just perfectly and not to worry and we're just here to enjoy it. And we stopped and took some pictures and the scenery was absolutely gorgeous. The mountains were snow, snow covered and you could see where we were kind of headed. Um, you could see this line of zigzagging switchbacks um, that of people as they, as they, you know, went up the, the mountain. So it was all really pretty. The temperature was um, in the 50s, um, so it was it was not bad. I had short sleeve short sleeves on and arm warmers and shorts. Um, I took the arm warmers down some of the time, you know. But I was never um, until we got to the top was never cold. Um, it was somewhat overcast. I'd had my sunglasses on and off, but for the most part, didn't really need sunglasses. Didn't see any animals except a fly. Um, so it was, uh, and as we climbed, we lost the trees, you know, so, um, you know, one person that was running is like, well, we're getting closer to the top because the trees are getting smaller. And that was an observation that I learned to pay attention to. But, um, so we walked, um, and we run downhill as much as we could. Again, it, it became very difficult. Um, I have to say I'm quite disappointed in my ability to descend. I just didn't have the guts to let it go. I looked at those rocks and thought this is a very bad injury if, if I go down. Um, just not, you know, I'm just not technically skilled enough to do this. I'm, I'm just going to have to go down controlled. I felt good going up. 
Um, you know, I could really hike quickly. So I, you know, we would actually pass people going up uh, and then they'd pass us coming back down. So it was kind of a little bit demoralizing in, in the fact that, you know, we put out all this effort to go up, but then coming down where, you know, you could try to catch your breath. I'm still putting in effort trying not to fall down where other people could kind of let it go a, a little bit more. What I noticed um, when I looked at the results at the end was that if you didn't live in Colorado and you were over 50 years old, you were with us, you know, at the back. We, that was the back. That's the that was the description of the back of the Packers. Um, so, you know, we weren't alone in our inability to run at altitude or, or descend gracefully, I should say. Um, but there there was a wide range of age groups. Um, there was a half marathon that went on that took off an hour or so behind us. Um, and, you know, we kind of got together at, at some point. But, you know, the, the older age groups, I would have to say that that's what I was involved in. You know, the late 50s, early 60s, there might have been a couple 70-year-olds, but not too many in the full marathon. Um, so anyway... Um, we were up and down, up and down, up and down. And then we finally got to this aid station, which was about mile 10. And everybody said, okay, now this is the base. Now we're going to do the climb to the summit. And it was about 3.7 miles to the summit from there. And then it became this truly ants marching up the hill with switchbacks on rocky terrain, snow, uh, melting snow, water coming down. And it was relentlessly uphill for 3.7 miles. And if you listened to this podcast before and you heard the smart doctor here talking about my hill training of a half a mile twice a week at a 15% grade, it was nothing. It was nothing to prepare me for what we experienced. (laughs) I mean, it was, you know, um, it was the first hill of the marathon was what I was prepared for. I was not anyway near prepared for the steepness the technical difficulty of climbing that last that last 3.7 miles and i got to tell you um again you know i told you our runtime mile um 12 i guess it was mile 12 to 15 um our race pace went from 13 to 15 minute miles 18-minute miles up to a peak of 35-minute miles uh, when we hit the top. But it was just a little bit eerie being up that high. And like I said, it was cold. So we decided to get off of there as quickly as we could. And the descent was, um, it was just so technical. I mean, it was, you know, a goat path on the side of a cliff with rocks and mud. And just couldn't make any time whatsoever. Um, You know, it just was, you know, it is what, you know, there was just nothing I could really do uh, differently. I can't say that my legs hurt. Um, I felt some fatigue, you know, at 13, but I, I can't really say that I was feeling any, you know, terrible discomfort in my legs. It was just, I didn't have any more uh, oomph 
than I did. And like I said, going down now, I did feel a little unsteady, you know, that I could, my quads were a little bit fatigued. So were they going to hold me if I slipped? Um, so again, decided to take it, um, kind of, kind of slowish, um, got back down off and, you know, try to push it a little bit when we could, but, um, it, it terrain, you know, just going down was, was, you know, to me, it was almost harder than going up because, you know, you were trying to pick your step, um, and hold back, which is not what you should do, but it's what I felt like I had to do. And so it really, really slowed us down. And then it actually started to get serious as whether or not there was a cutoff time and where we're going to make it. And that became, you know, really ominous. And, you know, doing math at uh, any marathon is not easy for me. Doing math when the oxygen is lower is even harder. And so we were looking at our splits and our pace. And it was, you know, it's, it was it's going to get really tight. Um, so we knew we had to push it a little bit. But it came down to if we were going to make it, we weren't going to make a 30 and so we weren't really sure if they were going to have a cutoff or not. And I, I really got disappointed at one point because I was thinking, you know, my gosh, we've been out here forever and we're going to come up empty handed and not get a time, not get anything. But uh, that wasn't true. Uh, we got our time. We got a medal. We got a coffee mug. And, um, you know, so we, we got credit for our uh, gallant effort um, in the in the race. And, you know, again, um, I don't have any regrets for doing the marathon. I mean, it was a huge learning experience. I hope, you know, I, I got a little bit better on the rocks over the course of the day, you know, eight hours and 41 minutes of practice. Um, you know, I'll be anxious to see at our next marathon, which uh, will be uh, our next race, which will be out in Texas at the swim run, which we thought was rocky, but then we realized after a while that it wasn't as rocky, you know, how, how well we'll do because of, of what we trained and how we trained. Um, you know, the, again, the, you know, a little bit of COVID lingering, but mainly just not being altitude trained or technical trained enough for the, the terrain was really what, what slowed us. And like I said, anybody that didn't live in Colorado or the mountains down, um, but you know, it was, it was, it was good. Um, and you know, I said, would I ever do it again? Maybe, um, next year? No. <laughs> You know, so there's a lot I'd like to cover before I put myself uh, in that predicament again. As far as fueling for the race, uh, we used uh, some um, a powdered uh, drink mix, Tailwind, a lemon-lime. There's a co company called Gnarly, G-N-A-R-L-Y. Um, did a fruit punch, a limeade, and a, even a cherry cola that kind of tasted like cherry Coke from what I can remember. Uh, did that, and then the Huma gels and the Cliff gel. Um, I did have some Oreos because I always have Oreos and out in the woods. That's my only place that I ever eat Oreos. Um, so they they tasted pretty good. It was hard to actually take in fluid and remember to eat um, because you're watching your feet all the time or watching where you were going to step. So um, I probably didn't drink quite enough early on. Um, or as much as we as maybe we should have, but I don't think that really made a difference. Um, I got a little bit nauseated in the middle in the beginning, but overall my stomach was good, so I was so thankful for that given what we um, went through. And uh, so that all was good. Um, you know, I think our hydration, our nutrition was good. Again, we were going slower, so it makes nutrition a little bit easier. It was cooler, so that makes nutrition easier. 
Um, you do have to worry about the hydration part at the altitude, but I, I think we did really good with that. I was never dizzy, never got a headache uh, or any of the other altitude type symptoms, never had any of the tingling after that uh, initial um, little tingling in my feet when we started the race, probably because I hyperventilated when the gun went off. But um, so, so that was, that was all, that was all um, very, very good. You know, like I said, um, um, things I really didn't know. I mean, I knew Leadville was a mining town. I didn't realize that it had been such a big town in the past of Colorado's past. Um, it is the sixth um, highest peak in Colorado. And, um, you know, it was pretty, it's just amazing. The, the scenery, even driving out from Denver, the scenery was uh, very amazing. So, I, you know, I'd have anybody that, you know, it's, it's a great uh, place to visit if you want to hike, run. Um, if you're going to run the marathon, you probably should train um, a little bit more than we did. <laughs> but there, there's that. Post-marathon, um, actually at the uh, race finish, uh, we got all excited because they had a jackfruit barbecue. But obviously, Colorado is not that much of a vegan town. So the jackfruit they used in their barbecue was the uh, really ripe version. So it was really nasty. I, I couldn't eat that at all. Um, there was a fruit cup, had that. But I mean, it was a tiny fruit cup. Um, went back to the hotel and eventually um, we finished the pizza that we had the night before and um, I think we might have had a bagel um, but didn't have the fruit uh, that I normally have. I think that might have delayed me getting you know I'm a little bit more sore longer uh, perhaps than I usually have. Not much but a little. Um, the next day we took off and uh, went back towards Denver and we actually visited Buffalo Bill's gravesite at another elevation point and did some hiking around there uh, just to kind of get the lactic acid out of our legs. Uh, we had ate at a really good uh, Lebanese um, uh, restaurant and had falafel and um, uh, was, was really good on pita bread. So that, that was in some grape leaves that were stuffed with rice. So that, that was really good. And then in the evening, we stopped at a place and had some pho. So I had some cabbage. I really couldn't look at the broccoli in my soup. Um, <laughs> just a little bit more, just afraid of it. But cabbage, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, the cooked cabbage really tasted good to me. And, and that, that worked out good. So note to self. Um, but the noodles and the broth and the cabbage and some carrots uh, were, were really good. Um, and so we enjoyed that. So all in all, um, it was uh, you know a, a good a good trip. Uh, I think we did good. The next day in the airport in Denver, they had a Jumba Juice, so we had a big green juice. Uh, we had there was one grocery store in town, so we had bought some apples and blueberries and plums. So we had that in the airplane, so that made the flight home uh, I think really good. And and um, you know with all the, the the fruit juice and the smooth the green smoothie and. Uh, the fruit itself, I think that was uh, really finally got our recovery fuel a little bit late, but nevertheless, we, we got it. You know, again, I, I go back to the area, um, and uh, it reminds me of rural West Virginia in the mountains where I, yeah, I grew up a little bit. It reminds me a little bit of Ontario, Canada, where we used to visit. Um, but I think the attraction is just, you know, getting out into nature um, it's so beautiful um, and peaceful and uh, laid back that, it, you know, you just, uh, people were, were very kind and, you know, that we met, we, nobody was in a rush. 
Um, you know, it was funny in the intersections of the little town, people stopped to let you cross. And if you're in the car, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. You know, it wasn't all this honking and, and you know, hub hub. So, so I really understand why people are lured, you know, to Colorado to spend uh, time or to move there or to, to, to adopt a simple, uh, a more simple lifestyle. And I, you know, I, I think that, you know, people say, would you move there? And it's, and it's like, no. Um, I like my life here in, in Florida. I, you know, I have the opportunity to do a job that I love and work with people that I love. Um, and, you know, I'm a family person. I like to be around, uh, you know, my extended family as much as I can. Um, but I do enjoy, you know, uh, that aspect of my life. And, and my profession allows me to get out into nature on a regular basis to do these things. And I think that's what keeps keeps me sane. Um and, you know, and I, you know, I talk about it a lot on this podcast as far as getting outside to move. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a marathon, but getting outside to move, whether it's hiking, running, swimming, biking, um, kayaking, but getting outside, the fresh air, the microbes, or just something about being in nature. It's kind of where we belong um, rather than, you know, in a cement jungle and closed with the doors closed and not talking to anybody. Um you know, it's, it's, you know, we need to be with people, uh, but we need to not, maybe not too many people. We need to be in a positive situation. We need to be outside and move as much as possible. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, races like that bring it home and make the trail races, you know, to me, much more desirable. When I first started running marathons, I was all about running the big ones. Um, you know, if it, if there wasn't, you know, 20,000 people, I felt like I was, you know, selling myself short, not getting involved. And I loved running with the herd. And, uh, you know, even if I didn't talk to anybody for the time period and running with that herd, I, I loved. It wasn't until I ran the Hatfield and McCoy Marathon that was only 200 and some people in West Virginia through uh, the countryside that it's like, wow, this is nice. And then, you know, we tried a trail race and this is even nicer um, and just really enjoy the people associated with trail running, um, the race directors, you know, very accessible, very, was, everybody was very nice. The aid stations, you know, very, very helpful, very, very positive. They were staffed by people that were runners, hikers themselves. So they knew, they knew the area, they knew the environment, they knew how to help somebody if, if need be. So it, it's just a really, um, uh, good good experience um, to, and, and certainly a big challenge. You know, as far as nutrition goes or looking around to seeing what other people were eating, um, there, there wasn't a lot of plant-based eaters. Matter of fact, we didn't meet another one other than our friends that we met out there. Um, but again, they had the vegan restaurant. We ate at the vegan restaurant outside of Denver. Uh, the food was uh, the food that we had in the restaurant outside of Denver, other than the oil on the Brussels sprouts. You know, it was it was pretty good. Um, the Golden Borough um, had a lot of processed food, but they had salads available, vegetable soup available. Um, you know, and and uh, it was pretty low oil. So you know, I got to say that um, that was that those options were good. Good. We always get a pizza when we're traveling just to try to, you know, find a local pizza place. And this was very good, thin crust, you know, not much oil at all. You know, on the box there was no oil the next day, but just tomatoes. We'd get it without cheese. So that was 
that was really good. Um, in the hostel, people were making rice and rice dishes with meat, cheese. Um, they were making pancakes, you know, that were with, you know, eggs and, and milk and that kind of stuff. Um, but people weren't heavy by any stretch of the imagination. You know, people weren't overeating. It was a pretty lean group. A lot of people were hikers. And, uh, but, you know, I can't say that they were eating really healthy. We didn't see a lot of older people there, um, and uh, no, one probably one person older than us in the hostel. But I mean, as far as elderly people, um, that changes all the time. I'm gonna, you know, put that into the 80s now. I, I think the winters are really hard there, so I, I think if you have a chance to to get out, that you know, you're probably going to. I think the population is only 2,762 by the Wikipedia. Um, there were up to 18,000 back in the 1800s, so it was, you know, a lot, pretty populated when it, the silver mines were going, but, so it's a small town, there's a small college there, apparently, um, didn't see it, um, but it's, you know, it's a lifestyle for younger people, um, it's, you know, the winters are, are going to be hard, and, and a lot of snow, but if you like outdoor activities, you know, I grew up cross-country skiing, and snowmobiling, and so it would be be great, but um, again, not uh, an easy life for uh, people that had trouble getting around, especially with the elevation. Which gives me a you know another reason for people to train and to keep healthy for endeavors like this, so that you can go and and see. So you know, I've had um, some members of the practice go out to Colorado. Um, I have some members that go out and hike every year, but, you know, I've had people go out and visit. Uh, I have a couple members that, that um, spend some time out there hiking. Um, and they're plant-based, and they train, and, and they train when they're back in Florida or um, wherever their home base is, and they're active. It's not that they just, you know, get off the couch and, and go to elevation and start doing something. And, you know, I, you know, I, I think it's important to keep in shape to do things um, that you want to and travel if it happened to be on a whim or the opportunity to, to go places and not have to worry about whether or not your health will support you at, at altitude. And certainly, you know, nutrition is uh, the best way to, to get around that. And, you know, in this, you know, in this era of infections and things, um, you know, one of the uh, study looked at antioxidants and um, you know, how can you really um, up your game a little bit, you know, as far as plant-based nutrition? You know, when people first transition, um, you know, sometimes people transition to eating vegan or processed foods, and then they, um, you know, they transfer, trans, transition more into, you know, more plant-based and whole foods and, and start doing some of their own cooking, but it's a lot different than the traditional cooking. You know, most people have cooked with garlic and pepper and salt, um, but that's, you know, that's usually the standard American um, spices that are used. And in reality, there was a study that looked at the antioxidant content of a lot of foods. And obviously, plant foods have a lot more antioxidants than an animal foods. Animal foods very low in antioxidants. Basically, they get their antioxidants from some of the plants that they may have eaten. But one of the... Um, and when I talk about antioxidants, I'm talking about a variety of different phytochemicals and nutrients that help to um, decrease the acidity of the blood, 
um, kind of go around and sweep up these free radicals or um, uh, you know abnormal byproducts that we have from the metabolism and, and, and exposures that we have. So they're really important in our in our life, and you know, again, plants are the highest fruits and fruits and vegetables, but even higher are spices and, and, and herbs. And if you look, and a lot of times we forget about those things. And, and one of the highest, and, and herbs actually, uh, and spices actually have the highest amount of antioxidants of any any foods. And if you look at the the number one, it's really allspice in dried and ground. Uh, cinnamon is very high. Uh, mint leaves that are dried, oregano, rosemary, and thyme. These are uh, particular um, herbs that have a large degree of antioxidants in it. So if you can use some of these in your cooking, you're really adding a bang to your, um, you know, your um, your nutrition, you know, a bang to your immune system, helping you know helping yourself out. If you haven't used allspice, I'll give you a hint. It's uh, the diva's secret ingredient to her pasta sauce. So a little allspice um, really flavors up um, uh, tomato sauce. It really flavors up um, spinach. Um, so spinach with allspice and garlic is, is really good. Um, obviously cinnamon, uh, most people know how to use. Oatmeal, you can have, even put it in your coffee. Um, sweet potato, you can put cinnamon on. Um, interestingly, coffee and tea have a fair amount of ox- antioxidants, but not as much as the herbs and spices. Uh, mint leaves, you know, mixing them into this to a salad can really add a different flavor uh, to things. Uh, adding them to desserts, um, you know, really can add a lot of flavor. Uh, mixing them with berries, putting them in a smoothie. Oregano, obviously, pasta sauce is a is a great place for oregano. Um, I like to make a, um, uh, you know, a Caesar type dressing with some yogurt with had oregano and garlic and nutritional yeast. Thyme and rosemary are great in soups. They actually give you the kind of the uh, essence of chicken noodle soup. So if you do a soup with celery and carrots and, um, you know, perhaps some soy curls and then season it with thyme and rosemary, you, you really think you're eating chicken soup from way back when. Clove is very high in antioxidants. I like putting it in oatmeal, pancakes, um, good in tea. Um, I make a, the faux soup has uh, clove in it, so that's another uh, good place to add antioxidants. So these are simple things that you can add to boost your immune system, uh, to you know, to boost your overall health without really having to, um, you know. Uh, not be too creative. And, you know, we're talking a teaspoon um, of, of each of these things. You have to make sure your spices aren't old. Um, after a while, they kind of lose their oomph. Uh, if you have the opportunity to grow your herbs and dry them, that's, that's a, you know, an added bonus. If you have the, again, um, nitric oxide production is another thing from herbs. So cilantro, parsley, basil, all really good nitric oxide producers. So another reason to, to use those things. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, get out and move and, you, you know, try some different spices with um, um, your, your dishes and try to incorporate this can, you know, help boost your, your immune system, especially in, you know, cold and flu and COVID type season. Um, 
I did a dish um, and made a sauce with parsley and garlic this week uh, with some um, coriander. It was different, um, and it really, you know, put it over cauliflower. It was really good, so healthy as well as bumping up the richness of cauliflower. So go out and try some of the new, um, you know, the different, um, or try some different spices than, than what you're used to. I'm going to finish my recovery this week and start um, training for the swim run. Uh, I guess we have another trail race. We have a trail marathon in the fall and then our swim run in the fall, followed by CIM marathon and then uh, back to ultras in, after the first of the year. So I, I think it's great to have something on the calendar, something to look forward to. Um, I want to work on my balance. I want to, again, you know, I've said it before, but, uh, you know, I want to get better on these stinking rocks and be able to go down a hill without busting myself. So I'm going to keep working on that uh, until I can't work on it anymore. Uh, I'm not accepting um, the age as a uh, deterrent to getting better. Um, last thing I'll say, it was pretty funny. We were sitting in the kitchen the day after the marathon and there was a woman in there and she was, you know, we were talking about the race and how difficult it was. And she said, well, I'm 40. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do it. And it's like, well, I, you know, I think at least by 59.9, you'll probably be able to keep going. And she kind of looked at me and it's like, yeah, that's what we are. And we did it. So, um, but again, there were older people than us doing it. Uh, there always will be. Um, and I'm going to keep pushing it and maybe I'll head back to Leadville, uh, in my sixties, seventies or eighties. Who knows? I'm going to keep trying. Thank you for always for listening. Um, share this podcast with anybody that wants to listen. If you're interested in our practice, go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com and learn about our practice and how you can join us and get healthy and trained to do whatever you want to do outside. And you can email me at jamie at Dr. Delaney. I'd like to hear from you. Again, share this podcast. Love to have a good review on iTunes. It helps spread the word and get, get, gets, gets it out there so we can get some more listeners. Thank you again for listening. Have a good evening.